you might be thinking, who is going to read today? And it's actually me, because we're going to do things a little different and, and at least try it for today. Um, and, and here's why. I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, how do we um, acknowledge the fact that we could gather under this pavilion for a lot of different things? So what makes this, this gathering different? And obviously, uh, our liturgy and the way that we go about things would definitely make it different from uh, Matt's birthday party yesterday. And yet, um, I think that there's this idea that we need to come to, to say, Lord, I'm resting and I'm dependent on you. And so what we're going to do is for the scripture reading today, if you can, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to have the word in front of you, and if, if you've got uh, your your church center app, or you've scanned that, it's got the the verse that we're going to be reading there. It's in Mark, we're in chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through uh, 25, and if you're looking for 26, it's not there, which is crazy, but um, Mark 11, verses 12 through 25, and we're going to stand and we're going to read this because it, it does two things. It acknowledges that, hey, I can read a lot of things and I can take things in through my eyes and through my brain um, and, I can, and I can understand them. But really what I need from God's Word is I need the power of the Spirit to imprint this on my heart. And we already talked about it from Deuteronomy this morning. The idea that God is, is putting these things on our heart. He's making us a people that would walk with His Word indwelling in us. So we're just going to read it today. We're in Mark 11 verses 12 through 26. I'll read and you guys can just follow along. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. This morning we continue to uh, look at the gospel of Mark. The gospel means good news, right? This account that we have of the best news ever, that Jesus, the Son of God, has come, 
that when he comes onto the scene in Mark 1, he, he, remind, he tells the people, the kingdom of God is at hand. This kingdom that you've longed for, the one that you've seen images of, the one that you've seen kind of uh, in a haze, is now coming and it's at hand. Like it's, you can touch it, you can see it, you can hear it. That's the kingdom that's here. And then Jesus begins to walk in power. He begins to prove that not only is he the, the Messiah that would come, but he is the Son of God. He calms storms. He heals bodies. He restores the broken. He brings in the outcasts. He does deep spiritual work. He forgives sin. Like That's this Jesus that's here. And then two weeks ago, James was here and he was talking to us about, listen, the, the, all of the ministry of Jesus led to his coming to Jerusalem. And in humility, he comes in on a colt. He comes in on a donkey rather than on this mighty steed. He comes in with people not raising swords or weapons of war, but raising branches and crying Hosanna. And so Jesus is coming, and, he, and just like his kingdom that we've seen is upside down, even his entry that is still triumphal, we don't see it as this great parade, this great triumph. We see it as something that's uh, meek and lowly. But today, we see in Scripture that while Jesus is meek and lowly, gentle and kind, he's also fierce. He's also the judge. He's also the one that is coming. In, in, in this coming, he comes as the suffering servant. But there will come a day where he will come as a triumphant king. The judge who will judge the living and the dead. All of us will sit under the judgment of Christ. And that day is coming. And we see just a little bit of a glimpse of it today. Um, and so will you pray with me? Because today's... Passage is, is more difficult than some of the ones that I think we try to grapple with. And as we look closely, I think we'll see why. So let's pray. And just again, God, we, we beg that your spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see today. God, we thank you that the spirit of God that dwells in the believer is the same spirit that spoke this truth to the apostles and the disciples who wrote these words down. And so, in both the writing and in the reading, in the giving and the receiving, we depend on you. We trust you. We know that you long for us to know you. And so, we pray this with confidence, God. May we see you in your word today. May we see you and be changed and transformed. God, we desperately need this. We know our sin. It's ever before us. But we also know our Savior who is ever before us. And so, Lord, would you change us into his image today? By your word and through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> this story, um, as we read it, causes some concern. If you're reading it with open eyes... Uh, you've seen just in this first part where Jesus curses the fig tree. Verses 12 through 14 say, On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. 
And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. Jesus, both Son of God, fully God. I love James bringing in the hypostatic union two weeks ago. Um, and if you want some more on that, Shylin has this beautiful song that explains it and, and does it with beats behind it. And so I would just recommend that. Um, but the hypostatic union, the, the fact that the full deity of God could dwell in the body of Jesus. That he is both fully human and fully God. And here we see he's fully human because after his walk, he's hungry. He wants something to eat. So what does he do? He looks up and he sees the fig tree. And this fig tree is in full leaf. A fig tree in leaf in verse 13. So he goes to it because it's in leaf expecting there to be fruit on this tree. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Listen, we're going to wrestle with this because we're like, man, what did that fig tree do? Like it says that it's not the season for figs. So how could Jesus have this expectation on it? And it's just doing what God made it to do. And yet now it's being cursed. And so actually, this passage of Scripture has really caused some people to reject this passage of Scripture and say that actually shouldn't be in there. And so they just gloss over it. Sometimes, uh, you know, if you're preaching expositorily through a passage, we, we move through that, we get to the temple, and we just kind of gloss over some of these things. But the reality is that all of this is for our good, for our edification, for our growth and understanding of who God is. And so we need to ask that question. Well, there's two thoughts, um, and R.C. Sproul was helpful in his commentary. He, he talks about the, the two different kind of theories of how this might be. How could it be that this tree is supposed to be bearing fruit? It's, it's in leaf, but it's not the, not the season for figs. Well, um, one school of thought says that figs, when they first bloom, bloom as this green thing. That you don't eat. You have to wait for it to ripen. But, but if the tree uh, has those, then you know that eventually, when it is in season, it will have figs on it that you can eat. But some people, travelers, would even eat those green things. Although they were a little bit bitter and sour, they would still eat them. And so some commentators think, well, maybe that's what Jesus was doing. He was going over there. Even though it wasn't the time for figs to be in season... Uh, maybe they weren't supposed to be ripe yet, but there should still be the fruit that would eventually be ripe on the tree. Another thought is that there are a lot of different types of figs in that area, in the area of Palestine. And they didn't all bloom at the same time. They didn't all have the same uh, season of fruit. But you knew that if it was in leaf, then it should also have fruit. And so Mark is clear in saying that there are leaves on the figs. So there is an expectation of fruit. This idea of bearing fruit is not new to, the, to Jesus coming in the New Testament. When we think about, like, what does that mean to bear fruit? We can go back to Genesis, and, and in Genesis 1, God is creating, and He's telling, uh, he, he commands the fish and the birds, first and foremost, to be fruitful and multiply. And then after He creates man, He tells them to do the same thing. 
His first command to humanity is to be fruitful and to multiply. And so this idea of bearing fruit is throughout all of Scripture. It is God's plan. He made things, He created beings so that they would bear fruit. And so we see that this idea of bearing fruit is Jesus' expectation when he walks up to the fig tree. The hard part about this is it's the only miracle that takes place in the Gospel of Mark that causes destruction. And that's another reason. People just want to throw it out. That doesn't mesh with my idea of who Jesus is. Jesus is kind and he builds up and he only encourages. But we've seen him rebuke. We've seen him come with hard words before, and now he's going to rebuke this fig tree for not bearing the fruit that it should be bearing. This idea of Jesus judging an innocent tree uh, has caused people not just to gloss over it, but some have actually gone all the way to, to rejecting the faith. Because their idea of who Jesus is doesn't mesh with what they're seeing in Scripture. But here's the encouragement that I have for us today. We do not define Jesus. Jesus defines us. That's good news. We're not creating him into uh, the perfect God-man. He already is. And him in that position of authority as the king who is coming to establish his kingdom then gets to define us. And so we get to be defined by who Christ is. We get to be changed by who He is and the Spirit that He's put inside of us. And so when we read the Bible through that lens, which requires first and foremost the Spirit of God inside us, revealing truth through our hearts, it allows the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't get to look back from 2,000 years beyond him and and redefine him and that's to be honest that's one of the lies that we're beginning to believe that we can make Jesus into whatever we want him to be and so as culture changes as the sin changes as problems change we begin to go back and and redefine and re-describe who Jesus is but the Bible is clear Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever so who he was 2,000 years ago is as important today as it was then. It's as life-changing today as it was then. We are the ones who conform to his image, not the other way around. Jesus' judgment against the tree uh, was not a judgment that the fruit wasn't uh, big enough or that it wasn't ripe enough. It was a judgment that the fruit was not there. And I think we need to get that because sometimes we, we become, like Chris was saying, we can become self-critical and we can become judges of how, where the fruit should be, what it should look like, and the reality is that Jesus isn't judging that fig's, fig tree's uh, fruit for what it is. He's judging that it's not there. And so we need to see that, listen, that, that pertains not just to that fig tree, and not, as we'll see next week, to, just to the temple and what was going on inside of the temple. But that, that judgment moves all the way to us today. As Christians, people who are saying, yes, I believe 
that God is doing something in me, that He has placed His Spirit in me by faith, as Christians, then we should be bearing fruit. And it's all, gonna, all the fruit's going to look different. It's going to have different stages. Some of it might be that green bitter. You know who I'm talking to. Right? Some of it might be full, ripe, beautiful fruit. And we're like, yeah, that's it. But we're going to bear fruit. We're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God that's inside of us. This idea of the expectation of fruit reminds me of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Maybe you've heard it before, but I'll just recap it. There's a master and he has three servants and to one servant he gives five talents. Talents are, are measures of um, riches. And so he gives to, that, to the first servant five talents. He gives to the second servant two talents. And he gives to the third servant one talent. And then he goes away. And that first servant that had five talents goes and takes those five talents and uses them and gains five more talents. And the second servant, who only had two talents, goes and he uses them and he gets two more talents. And so this is, it's this idea of of multiplying, being fruitful and multiplying, of doing with, with, with the gifts that God has given you, doing something with them, right? Being faithful in them. And then the last servant was afraid of his master. He thought his master was a very uh, task-oriented and demanding master. And so he was, he was afraid, so he went and hid the one talent so he wouldn't lose it. But it's not multiplying. It's not bearing more fruit. It's just sitting there doing nothing. And when he comes back, the master is upset. And this is the end of Jesus' teaching in 29 and 30. He said, Matthew 25, verses 29 and 30. He says, For everyone who has will be given, who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one, that, the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus takes this seriously. He takes it really seriously that, that we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We have been given these gifts, not for our own edification, not for, well, yes, for our edification, but not for our own comfort, not for our own ease. He gives these things to us so that we can walk with Him, worship Him, live for Him, enjoy Him, all of that together. Like, that is the reason that He has given Himself. And yet, often we want to go and hide it. So Jesus goes into the temple. He, he sees that the temple is not what he had created it for. Remember that Jesus was with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The triune God has existed for all time. So even as God, had given, God the Father had given commands on how the temple should be built. Jesus was there. He knew what the temple was for. And it, was, it had become a, a, a place of robbers and thieves rather than a place where people would come and glorify God. And what we'll see next week is, is there's actually a, a couple different parts of the temple. The temple was not just made for the Jews, but it was also made for the Gentiles so that the Jews would go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. 
And so there's a lot for us to learn there. But what I want to do is I want to circle back to verse 20. Verse 20. The disciples passed by in the morning and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Not only did Jesus say, Don't ever bear, you will never bear fruit again. But in that moment, that tree withered away and was cursed. Matthew's account has it like immediately the tree withers. Mark sandwiches it with the, the, the clearing of the temple so that you can see that these two things are tied together. But either way, in, whether it's in, in that moment or whether it's one day, it's very clear that at Jesus' words, nature changes course. This fig tree that was and that, was, that had leaves and was, seemed like it was flourishing on the outside was not producing fruit, and Jesus called it out, and it withered away, and it died under his judgment. You see, Jesus is fulfilling all of the different aspects of who God is. Often we talk about the offices that Jesus holds. He is both uh, king, but he's also prophet and priest. And so we see in the book of Hebrews, like this beautiful idea that Jesus is our priest. He mediates for us. He stands before the Father interceding for us. And here we've seen Jesus come as king over his kingdom. But the third thing that he does, he is, he is the prophet. He is the one who gives, like the prophets of old, would use uh, circumstances that they would see in nature to define what God was going to do. Jesus is doing the same thing here with the fig tree. And by his power, he's actually making it happen. And then he's using it as a lesson to teach Israel and to teach us today. Listen, you can look really good on the outside. You can be in leaf and not be bearing fruit. But Jesus knows what fruit looks like. And he's coming and he's looking for it in the life of the believer. The good news is that if we are in Christ, that fruit is being born. That fruit is being born of His Spirit in us. The, the bad news is if we don't see that fruit, we have to ask the question, are we in Christ? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in me? Because if, if we're not in Christ, now we have a big problem. Because this Jesus who comes meekly and humbly is also going to come as a judge and as a king with authority. And on that day, every knee is going to bow. And some are going to bow and they're going to worship. And they're going to be so grateful for the grace that they've received because they are in Christ. But others will bow and they will be cast away into the place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We, got, we have to take this that seriously. We, we don't, and, and I get it. Like it, It's hard to, to keep that in mind. It feels like a doom and gloom type thing. But the reality is that if we don't understand that piece of it, we don't understand grace. If we don't understand judgment, then we don't value the gift of mercy. And so if we value that gift of mercy, it's going to create in us this desire to go out, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, and then to speak life to those around us. But, but we shy away from it 
We, we don't demand fruit to be born in our own lives and we don't help each other look for fruit in, in their lives. And I think it's because we're afraid of what we would see sometimes. And so I just want to encourage you today. Like, like it's not, the, the, the impetus of the story is not, okay, so now I got to go out and I got to make some fruit. Or I need to do all the right things so that fruit would be born in me. No, it is not the fruit of a good Christian. It is not the fruit of, even of restored humanity. It is not the fruit of the redeemed soul. It is the fruit of the Spirit of God. Only He can produce that fruit in you. He's producing it Himself. And if He dwells inside of you, you're going to see it. The point of the story is that this tree is being cursed and we're seeing in that the reality of who Christ is. And it should cause us to to hunger and thirst for Him more. It should cause us to want to know Him so that we can share Him with others. Kent Hughes is, is helpful here as he talks about Jesus the prophet. He says the reason Jesus cursed the barren fig tree was because he wanted, to be, he wanted it to become a visual parable of what was happening to Israel. In actuality, and, and everybody who feels bad for the tree right now, in actuality, he honored that tree, making it the most useful tree that ever grew. It was and is a tree from which thousands have learned about themselves and turned back to God. If one soul has been made to consider its life through that tree, it did not wither in vain. I love that. We, we think that, man, that's harsh. can't believe Jesus would do that. Now, Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that so that we would see it and realize, now Jesus has every right to judge, every right to expect fruit, every right to come and look for His Spirit doing its work in us. How do we walk in that Spirit? The fruit that Jesus looks for in you is that of His Spirit, and we see it in verse 22. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Listen, we're going to connect this next week to the Lord's Prayer. There's some beauty in, in what Jesus is telling the disciples here and how he's taught them to pray in the Beatitudes. But the idea is, listen, if we pray in faith, how do we have faith? We have faith because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of us. Teaching us to believe. Giving us the strength to, to trust Him. To depend on Him. To lean into His mercy rather than our own works. To, to rest upon His grace. And if you think that maybe we're extrapolating a little bit and we're, we're making a little more of this than we should, look at the teaching of all of the disciples who were with Jesus. John goes back and he writes in his gospel later and he records the words of Jesus and he pays particular emphasis in, in uh, Jesus' last teaching to the disciples. John 15, Jesus says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it, it may bear more fruit. None of that is the branch doing the work. All of that is, is God 
doing His work in us, to us, through us. Already you are clean because, in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is where we rest. We come daily to the throne of grace and say, Lord, I need you today. I want to rest in you. You have a, you have a work that you want to do in me, to me, and through me. Will you do that in me today? Will you change me? Not my will, but your will be done. Like, there's beauty here. If, you, if you've said the Lord's Prayer, there's so much in there, and it only takes a couple minutes to focus our attention on who God is and what He's doing. So that's John. John took this and he, and he wrote it down in his Gospel. James, another disciple, in his... Uh, James 3, 13 through 18, in verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peter, while he doesn't necessarily talk about fruit, he does talk a lot about holiness. And that holiness is not his own. He knows that that holiness has been put in him by God. 1 Peter 4, 6 through 11 For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he goes on talking about what does that look like? What does that living in the Spirit of the way God does look like in your lives? And then, of course, we have Paul, who wrote extensively on what does it look like to walk and to rest and abide in the Spirit. This fruit that that we should be bearing as the people of God is is the fruit of the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, 16-26, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Listen, we, we quickly take those ideas of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control... And we have someone that we think embodies maybe just one of those things. And we think, man, if I could just be like that. But the the fruit of the Spirit is each of these things in its perfect form. It's not like the best you can imagine. It's perfection. That's the Spirit of God that we want to see moving in and through us. 
It's not, uh, it's not just being our best selves. It's not fixing our tempers. It's seeing something miraculous and powerful inside of us that only can be attributed to what God has done and who He is in you. And yet we're satisfied sometimes with maybe habit correction. When God's calling us to walk in a completely different thing. To be transformed. You have a transformer. It was a robot. And now it's a dinosaur. Like it's a completely different thing. Where we just think maybe we just want the better robot. But a transformer, like conforming is, yes, it's, it's, it seems more gradual. But transformation, that's completely different. And you read, and as Paul's writing, and he's saying, listen, you have two things inside of you. One, and they're completely opposed to each other. Which one are you going to walk in today? We don't... It's, it's not even like we choose. Like we have to rest in who God is and what he's doing and see that spirit worked out in us. See that fruit worked out in us. It's his fruit. He's doing it. That's the, that's the good news. Why is any of this taking place? Because Jesus, the son, not only came into Jerusalem, not only entered into the temple, not only saw the fig tree, but he walked all the way to Calvary. He humbled himself. He took a death that he did not deserve, a punishment that he did not deserve, shame, persecution, rejection that you and I deserve. He took that. Because of our sin, he bore it to the cross. And at the cross, he was... He drank the cup of God's wrath against that sin. He was rejected, abandoned, died the death that we deserve. But that's not the end of the story. Then he rose three days later, proving his defeat of sin and death and shame and all of the stuff that we've been talking about. That flesh is, is broken and has to submit to the Spirit of God in the life of the believer, because of what Jesus has done. And so today, if we would say that we are in Christ, and I'm glad that we do, we should, we should be excited. We should be longing for this fruit to grow in us, because that's, the, that's God Himself dwelling inside of us. His righteousness his perfection being played out because at the cross we exchanged our sin and our shame and He gave us His righteousness. He gave us love and joy and peace. He gave us all of the fruit of the Spirit. This morning we have a call to repentance and faith. Maybe you look at your life and, and you look at, um, if you were to compare yourself to a tree, you'd say, man, I have... I have a lot of leaves and very little fruit. If there's little fruit, rejoice. Rejoice, because that means God is doing something in you. If you see no fruit, repent. 
John the Baptist, as he's preparing the way of Jesus, he's a voice crying in the wilderness and he's baptizing people and he, and he says this in Luke 3, 7 through 9. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the message that we have throughout all of Scripture. That if, if you don't bear fruit, there's a reason that you're not bearing fruit, because you're cut off. But you have been grafted in. You've been brought in by the perfect blood of Jesus. You've been reconciled to Him. And so today you get to the opportunity to go to rest in Christ, to bear the fruit that He has put in you. And it's an active thing and a passive thing. And I'm just, like, we're going to work that out for the rest of our lives. Trying to figure out, God, if you did this, but you also want me to do this, how do I do that? We rest in Christ. We rest in what he's done, and then we go when he says go. We walk in obedience. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So I pray that today we would repent of where we haven't walked in obedience, and by faith we would begin to walk and step with the Spirit. Bearing fruit of righteousness, not for our own glory, not for our own sake, but so that others would be able to point to Jesus. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you, Lord, for today. We pray that today we would um, we would look honestly at our lives. We would look for the fruit that you are producing. God, that we would repent where we've tried to, to make it look like there was fruit and there wasn't. Lord, where we've tried to... Um, yeah, there's just a, a real call to examine ourselves today. Lord, I thank you for the fruit we see. I thank you that you're making us kind, that you're making us loving, that you're that there is real fruit of forgiveness in our lives. And we know that that's not of ourselves, that is you. So we thank you. We pray that you would do more of that. That you would bear more fruit in our walk. That you would draw others to that. Lord, that they would see these, these beautiful gifts that you've given us. And they would long for them. And we can say, it's only because of Jesus and what he has done. And you too can believe today. Repent and believe. Lord, I pray that if any of us don't know you today, that today would be the day of salvation. That we would no longer put off loving you, obeying you, following you, but we would do it today with joy. God, I thank you for hard um, words, for hard, hard passages. I thank you that you're changing us into your image for your glory. Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.